chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. Please look at your Bible. The heading says, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. And it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was blessed to, married, to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to a public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quickly. But after he has considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him name, the name Jesus, because you will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph wake up, woke up, he says what the angel of the Lord has commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. May the Lord bless him. Bless us this word. In the house of the Lord this morning, I have uh, been feeling the Lord's presence. You know, uh, in the Salvation Army, we're very busy in December and in the weeks leading after Christmas. And I find every year that in my busyness, there's always a moment of why are we even doing this? <laughs> and then there's always a moment when I'm filled with the true meaning of Christmas and I'm at peace and blessed and by the Holy Spirit. And that moment has happened for me this morning that we are here to celebrate the joy of Christmas together. It's great to be here this morning. You know, there is a phenomenon in our society known as the gender reveal party. Or maybe it's not a party, just the gender reveal, because sometimes it just happens via pictures or something. Uh, I looked for some, or I asked some people for some various pictures, but my technological uh, capabilities uh, did not allow for me to have those pictures. But we have this here. So since being at this core, my husband and I have had the privilege of being with Ed and Robin and their family as we learned that the little one on the way was Ed Jr. Uh, a few Christmases ago, you may have been there when we joined the Silks at camp during our annual Christmas party where we watched together as the blue balloons came wafting out of the box that was being opened. Uh, last January, we watched on Facebook as the lieutenants opened the little Russian dolls to reveal the little girl inside. And we may have seen Josh and Alicia's announcement on Facebook of the uh, impending arrival of their little girl, not too far now, uh, until she joins us. So according to Wikipedia, which we all know is, you know, gospel truth, <laughs> According to Wikipedia, the gender reveal became a thing in 2008 when, I'm going to get her name wrong, Jenna Carvunidis, 
you can correct me later, <laughs> shared photos of a gender reveal party for her firstborn on her blog, which was called High Gloss and Socks. Her baby's gender was revealed when the cake was cut open to reveal a pink cake inside. So I tell my kids, back in my day, we had something called a gender reveal. It was called birth. <laughs> it took place in the hospital <laughs> when the gender of the child became known. You know, couples and families and friends waited expectantly for the arrival of the little bundle of joy and for the great announcement, it's a boy, girl. <laughs> now, in my parents' day, before women entered the workforce in droves and before men were allowed in the birthing room with their wives, you know, it was very common for men to take it's a boy or it's a girl cigars with them into work to announce uh, the birth of their child. Now, by the time I was having kids, cigars were not looked upon so favorably. So many candy companies began making chocolate or bubblegum cigars. Um, but I didn't like that idea. And when I was pregnant with my firstborn, Jonah, I found in parents, Christian Parent Magazine, which my sister gave me a subscription to, a very clever way to announce the birth the gender of our baby. Was it going to be a he or a she? <laughs> so I actually took with me to the hospital little cut out pink wrappers and cut out blue wrappers and boxes of Hershey bars and I sat there the next day wrapping up Hershey bars to announce the birth of our son, Jonah. Now there's nothing like the thrill of having your baby placed in your arms and being told that you have a son or a daughter. Some of us, it takes a while to remember back that far. and <laughs> Some of us, it's a little more recent. But Mary and Joseph had their own personal gender reveal. And I think theirs was rather a little more scary than it was thrilling. Now in Matthew 1, we read of the angel's appearance to Joseph to announce Mary's pregnancy. And in Luke 1, we read of the angel's appearance to Mary. Not only did the angel announce the pregnancy, but he also revealed the gender, the name, who the baby was, and what he was going to do. That's quite a lot to take in. Imagine if you already knew at the birth what your child's life trajectory was, you know, their purpose and their going, who they were. Wow. We often look at Joseph's reaction to this news and to Mary's reaction to the news, but today I want to look at the news itself. Matthew and Luke give us two different facets of the same story. Matthew focusing on Joseph and Luke focusing on Mary. So last week and the week before, Lieutenants uh, Chase and Bell shared with us some of the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus' birth. Prophecies given to provide hope and peace for not only the Israelites, but for all mankind that a Messiah would come to save his people from their sins. That's a quote from Isaiah. The Messiah would come to save their people, his people, from their sins. So we cannot talk about the birth of a savior without talking about the condition of humanity. 
Why do we need a savior, a Messiah? Why did Jesus come? Well, probably all of us in here know the Sunday school answer, the quick, easy answer, because Adam and Eve ate the fruit and allowed sin into the world. And that is absolutely true, absolutely correct. That is the answer. But I'd like to take a minute to explore the full extent of the fall of man. For thousands of years, people have asked this question. Are humans fundamentally good or fundamentally bad? It's a question that has been repeatedly asked throughout humanity. So again, I googled, (laughs) is man inherently good or inherently bad? And I found this BBC article from 2013 addressing this idea. So the article started by saying, for thousands of years, philosophers have debated whether we have a basically good nature that is corrupted by society or a basically bad nature that is kept in check by society. And I think that's the question very often asked. And I think they're right in saying that the philosophers are trying to answer that question, but I think they're trying to answer the wrong question. Or I think they have failed to recognize that the question changed with the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The question is not, do people have a basically good nature that is corrupted by society, or do they have a bad, sinful nature? Or do they have a bad, sinful nature that can be changed by a loving God? Let me say it again. The question is, do people have a basically good nature that is corrupted by society, or do they have a bad, sinful nature that can be changed by a loving God? Paul addressed this question many times in speaking to the Romans, the Galatians, the Colossians, the Ephesians, basically any time he spoke. (laughs) He spoke about taking off the old man or the old nature, and putting on the new man, or the new nature. Romans 8, 8, and 9 tells us this. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. We no longer have to be controlled by the sinful nature if the Spirit of God lives in us. What a wonderful blessing. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And Colossians Colossians 2, 13, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all all our sins. And then the last one I want to read is from Ephesians 2, verses 3 through 5. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But 
Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. It is because of the incarnation of Christ and his death and his resurrection that we have the ability to change our nature from bad to good. This was the hope and peace that the prophets were referring to. A Messiah would come not to change the political landscape of the world, but to fundamentally change humanity. We can have the spirit within us and fundamentally change who we are. And how is he going to do this? So let's look at what Matthew and Luke tell us about who Jesus was and is. I may use was, but he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Jesus was uniquely qualified to be the savior of the world. He was both God and is both God and man. And here in Matthew and in Luke, we're given two different genealogies to tell us about the human line of Jesus. So confession time here. Has anyone ever been on Ancestry.com? <laughs> I have. <laughs> or maybe taken one of those DNA tests, which tells you about your ethnic origins. I know many who have. I will tell you, I know very little of my family line. I've been told that my grandmother, Amanda Jane Emerson Hoover, was given the Emerson part in her name because of the family relationship to the poet Ralph Waldo Emerson. But I've tried to find those leaves on Ancestry.com, and I cannot make the connection. In fact, I have not had any luck in finding any family line past my grandparents and a couple of their cousins. That's on my mother's side. And maybe I found, I think maybe a great uncle on my father's side. Uh, those leaves just didn't pop up for me on Ancestry. <laughs> my husband, on the other hand, has a book recording his family history from, I think it's 1635, the year 1635, all the way through to his grandfather. Name by name, they are all listed. We have here in Matthew the recording of Jesus' family line through Joseph, back through David, and all the way back to Abraham. Now, Matthew's gospel was written to the Jews. It was expected to be read by a Jewish audience. And so it began with a genealogy because the first question a Jew would ask about Jesus' claim to be the Messiah would be this. Was he the son of Abraham and the son of David? If not, his messianic claims would immediately be, be invalidated. So Matthew begins right there with the genealogy. Matthew's first reference is to Jesus Christ as the son of David, a reference to the royal kingly line of David, and his second reference as the son of Abraham, a reference to the line of promise or the line of grace through Abraham. This is significant because this validates all that Matthew is going to say about Christ in his book. 
So remember, and Lieutenant Bell brought this up to us a couple of weeks ago, that between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there's about a 400-year period of silence. There were no prophets prophesying, no angels appearing, no pillars of cloud or pillars of fire. So when a young girl and a young man from Nazareth each had an angel appear to them, this was extraordinary. This hadn't happened in over 400 years. Matthew starts his gospel, written to the Jews again, by legitimizing who Jesus was so that he could then go on to tell the events that happened. So Matthew gives this very factual account of the birth of Christ. Uh, I'll read what has been read to us already, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, because Matthew was writing to the Jews, he did not need to explain the Jewish marriage customs. But it, is always, it always helps us to be reminded of them since they are not the same in our society. So Jewish marriages were arranged marriages. So they were, there were three stages. The engagement, the betrothal, and the marriage. The engagement was the time when the parents of a young boy or a young girl would determine who their child would marry. The conversations would happen between parents and they would uh, make arrangements for who the child would marry. There would be verbal discussions and arrangements, agreements, but nothing was legalized and changes could be made, often depending on the amount of sheep and goats and things involved. Changes could be made for a better offer, but nothing was legalized. The betrothal happened when the children became of age. So remember, this is children, that when the child was born, one of the first you know, issues for the parent was, we got to find figure out who this child's going to marry. Get this out of the womb. <laughs> the, but when the children became of age, the betrothal happened. And that made the, de the, the decision was finalized and legalized at the time of betrothal when the children came of age. From that time, a period of betrothal, usually about a year, um, but uh, that time period was set to give the young couple a chance to get to know each other uh, and in what we would call a dating relationship. Uh, they, ne they need a time to be together to, to form a relationship. They are now legally bound to marry, but they have time to develop a relationship. The only way to break a betrothal was with a legal divorce. So this is where Joseph and Mary are when Mary becomes pregnant. Joseph has in mind to divorce Mary quietly so as not to make a big scene. But then an angel appears to Joseph. So he's already has knowledge of her pregnancy 
when the angel comes and says this. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. We can know that Jesus is the promised Messiah because all the prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. He would be of the line of David. Both Joseph and Mary are of the line of David. He would be born of a virgin. Joseph and Mary are in the betrothal period of their relationship. They had not had physical relations. And he would be from the city of David, where we know the census took Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, to the city of David, where Jesus was born. All of the prophecies came true with the birth of Jesus. Without a doubt, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Mary and Joseph had quite the baby reveal. <laughs> No one else has ever had the revelation they had. They, didn't, they did not have balloons or cake or confetti, but an angel of the Lord appeared. An angel of the Lord did their baby reveal for them. First to announce the pregnancy to Mary, and then to tell who the baby was, you are going to have a boy. Joseph, Mary is going to have a baby boy. You are to name him Jesus. Told him what to name him. And why? Because he is going to save the world from their sins. Wow. I think Sarah for singing this morning, Breath of Heaven. In that song, you can picture Mary, a young girl, having this child. Um, knowing that he is going to save the world from their sins. And I said, I'm not sure, it, the scripture doesn't tell us, and I don't think it was revealed to her the process of the crucifixion that Christ would go through. But we can still imagine and fathom uh, a scared little Mary um, having that first child. Mary and Joseph's little bundle of joy was not theirs alone. Jesus is the joy of all humanity. Through him, we can literally change our nature from bad to good and become more and more like him every day. Is there any greater joy than that? So today we have sung joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. This morning, I have for each of you, we will celebrate together. It's a boy. We will pass these out. I have special dark and milk chocolate. Um, so uh, in just a minute, we will pray and close our time together, but we want to celebrate. Um, often I started 
thing, you know, sometimes as we go through Christmas, we think, why are we doing all of this? It's just, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Um, and then there's always that moment, and I just want to end, it was encapsulated for me when we visited Jerusalem, and our tour guide, a Jewish man, uh, just spoke of all of the uh, familial celebrations and being together as a family and the things that they did. And he spoke to us about Sabbath. Um, and, just, and he was just in conversation, just talking about his life and his family and how um, things become more um, tangible, more meaningful when we as people uh, busy ourselves, do all of these things. I thought about, as I was putting these together and, and going through just the effort of doing it, I was thinking about just the effort uh, of going through a Jewish home and, and getting all the yeast out of the home before the Passover and uh, you know, all the various things that happen. And we do that not because um, we want to our anybody to look upon us as great and wonderful because we, we decorated a beautiful tree or things, but we do that to set aside this time as a great special celebration. We as humans celebrate with these kinds of things, and so we're going to celebrate today as I pass out um, the chocolate, and when you leave today, we also have a gift for you um, in celebration. Next week is Christmas Sunday, and we will celebrate together but what's great about Advent is we anticipate and look forward to all of that, and we just build and build. And uh, look, can you believe next week is Christmas Sunday? <laughs> As I saw a few heads. <laughs> but we'll join together. But I just want to share with you this week um, just the joy of the birth of Christ, the Messiah. I'm going to invite my husband to come and get and pray. Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, just... Uh, what a great joy it is to uh, worship together, Lord, and to recognize uh, your presence in our lives, Lord, and the greatest gift that ever arrived 2,000 years ago was just for us, Lord, and um, we thank you for that, and that we thank you that uh, you know our prayers before we say them, Lord, and you know who we are, uh, the hairs in our head or the lack thereof, Lord, but uh, you know everything about us, Lord, and, um, and in spite of that, Lord, you love us anyway. Lord, so we thank you for that. And Lord, today as we celebrate uh, your birth, Lord, we just want to give you all the glory and the honor that we might uh, not lose uh, track of why we celebrate Christmas, Lord. It's all about you. It's all about Christ. It's all about the greatest gift ever given to humanity, that gift of salvation and love. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.